0: we know that we're not just in a cohort now there's a cohort coming right behind us and we're going to be fellows for good so we're at the start right now but where are we going to be in six months or a year's time it's going to be a really exciting journey not just for us we're like part of a movement
1: Welcome to What Donors Want, a podcast by IG Advisors. I'm Rachel Stephenson-Chef, the Managing Director here at IG, and we're a strategy consultancy focused on social and environmental change. In the fourth season of our podcast, we'll be changing things up a bit. We know it's not just what donors want that's important, and that sometimes over-focusing on this can be a problem in the nonprofit sector. So. In this season, we'll be exploring what we all want by speaking with movers and shakers to delve into the state of our beautiful, yet in many ways broken sector. To collectively imagine solutions to the things that keep us up at night and inspire more progressive practices and ways of collaborating. This podcast is part of our mission to fix the flow of resources for good. Welcome back to What Donors Want. I'm Rachel, the host of the show. And I'm Emily, IG's CEO. Ooh, that rhymed. I like it. Um, today is a very unique episode. It's all about our Fix the Flow Fellowship, which not only has the greatest alliteration ever, but it's also a really incredible fellowship where we work with fundraisers of all levels from all over the world to change the funding system. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So as you know, I'm here with Emily, our CEO, who will tell you a little bit more about the podcast and kind of set the scene for today. But before I pass it on to you, Emily, I, of course, just want to start with a huge thank you and shout out to our official season four sponsor, Siegel Family Foundation, whose generosity and partnership makes this all possible. I also want to send a thank you and shout out to our fantastic media partner, Alliance Magazine. Check out their website, alliancemagazine.org, and you can get 50% off of an Alliance subscription by using the code WHATDONORSWANT, all one word, at checkout. All right, housekeeping done. Over to you, Emily. Thank you, Rachel. And hi, everyone. So, as Rachel said, about a
2: year ago, we decided to add this bold systems change project to our work at IG, the Fix the Flow Fellowship. And I did spend a little minute on that alliteration there. So I'm glad that you it. (laughs) You absolutely nailed it. And I wanted to just quickly explain why we did this. And the honest answer is we were just really annoyed. We've been fundraisers for a long time, we've been doing this podcast for a long time. At IG, we've worked with, I think, more than 2,000 funding professionals, mobilizing more than 2 billion pounds worth of resources for social good we really know our stuff and we're tired we're tired of the inequities and the challenges of the funding system and we know that as fundraisers we are vital organizers we are organizers of giving we're bridges we act as advocates not just for our causes but also for our donors we're constantly convincing people of things right that is our job to convince people of things and in doing that we're competing as well we're competing with our peers for two small pools of funding we're struggling with not enough people on our teams and people don't trust us or they have misconceptions about our work. And overall, the funding picture is that resources do not flow where they are most needed. There are leakages and blockages and cracks across the funding system and this stops the good from happening or it hampers long lasting change. And we also know that we really feel alone. We really feel alone with this. We don't feel like we're able to change anything. We feel disconnected from other fundraisers in our community. And there's only so much learning you can do about the art and the science of fundraising. There are bigger challenges that can't be solved alone. We need to come together to solve those challenges. So that's where the idea of the fellowship came from. And I'll be honest, I was a little nervous. In the fundraising world, it's not usual to openly say, the system is broken. Obviously, as fundraisers, we're trained to just focus on getting the money in, meeting our targets, competing with each other and making our donors happy, right? Rather than challenging the inequitable ways that the funding system works. But... We launched the fellowship. We had a full of applications from fundraisers all over the world. And now we have this flourishing community of ambitious fundraisers who want to learn what they need to learn to thrive in the modern nonprofit world, but also lead the movement for change within the funding system so that we can all fix the flow of resources for good. I also spent a minute on that. So there you go. very good. <laughs> um, so as you'll hear, the fellowship is open to fundraisers of all levels anywhere in the world. And we're currently in the middle of cohort one. So it's cohort one fellows that we'll be hearing from today. Applications for cohort two are now open until June 9th. So if you want to find out more, you can go to fixtheflow.org. And I'll tell you more about the program at the end of the episode. But today we really wanted to just give a platform to a few of our brilliant Fix the Flow fellows so they could speak about the challenges they face in their roles as fundraisers and the change that they want to create in the funding
1: system. Thanks, Emily. That was the perfect scene set. So off we go into the conversation. And also listeners, I do want to assure you that no fellows were bribed in the making of this podcast. (laughs) All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to What Donors Want. Thank you so much for your time today and for joining us. And of course, for all your time in the fellowship. So before we dive in today, we just want to start with a quick round of roundtable introductions. So if you could introduce yourselves, say your name, your work, the organization that you're from, and then also say to listeners what you are finding most challenging about being a fundraiser within the current funding system.
0: Well, hi. So I'm Katie Hillett from Refuge, the largest specialist domestic abuse charity in the UK. And what I'm finding really challenging, actually, is the sustainability of funding. That is really tricky. Not being able to have long term funding means that we can't adapt to our circumstances and change things and we can't plan ahead far enough. So I would say Mm -hmm. for me, it's that long term view that underpinning the sustainability of our organisations through funding is absolutely essential. If we don't have that, we won't exist.
3: Hi, um, my name's Anna, my pronouns are they, and I work at UK Youth as a trust and foundations fundraiser. What I think is one of the biggest challenges at the moment is that in the way the funding system is right now, often charities are forced to compete with each other and are forced to compete for the same funds. And I don't think any of us particularly like doing that, but it's also not the best way to deliver the most impact but there's so little resource and such, only such specific ways where it goes that I think that is a huge, huge challenge because we want to work more collaboratively. We want to work better and more efficiently, but it's
4: quite challenging. Hi, I'm Emily. I'm the fundraising coordinator with the climate justice youth movement called Me and Youth. And I'm also the fundraising officer for the Carbon Literacy Project. And one of the key problems that we're facing at the moment is a lack of flexible core funding. So when you apply for funds, you normally have to come up with a new sparkly project in order to apply for those funds. And it's very difficult as a organisation that wants to be trusted to do what you do best and do what you're doing well, to actually have the core funds to continue to do that instead of to have to come up with a new project each time. And funds are often gatekept and very difficult to access for offline youth and most affected communities they take a very long time to apply for for those types of communities. So that's one of the key problems we're grappling with at the moment.
5: Hi, I'm Naomi Lyons. My pronouns are she, her. I head up the philanthropy partnerships and ambassadors team at Oxfam Great Britain. And I think one of the things I'm grappling with as a fundraiser at the moment is tuning into the power dynamics of essentially our entire organisation and on a personal level, reflecting on how I may have inadvertently contributed to power dynamics kind of over the years that actually now I realize aren't healthy kind of so I'm trying to unlearn and unpick I guess kind of nearly 20 years of fundraising mindset and trying to work out what that means and what my responsibility is as a, as a head of team for how I support our relationship managers.
6: Hi my name is Samira Potsinja. I am a team lead for a movement called Climate Justice Africa, and I think right now our biggest problem is, I think, what the previous speaker talked about of gatekeeping keeping funds from offline communities. And two, we do not actually, we have issues knowing where to find funders and which funders to approach. We deal with integrity from funders because, because we are a climate justice organization. We do not have to take funds from everyone. So... We also are dealing with saving which fund we should take money from, which fund I shouldn't take money from, which fund I should bring on board with us, who we shouldn't. And so it's a bit complicated and because we are new to the whole spectrum, we're just trying to maneuver it. My name is Sophie
7: and I am the trust and philanthropy manager at a charity called Become in the UK. I think one of the things that I find most challenging about being a fundraiser in the current system is that sometimes it really feels like you just don't have any power to change things because maybe because of something about the scarcity mindset that exists within the funding system which means that there's a real fear about rocking the boat which can sometimes be quite legitimate because your ability to raise money can be impacted if you do something quote unquote wrong and trying to change things within the funding system can feel like that might have that, effect and mean that you can't raise money for your cause or you're seen as being a troublemaker and it gives you challenges professionally. So that feels really challenging because we're stuck within a system that feels frustrating and we can see that there are things not working but it also feels like there's not a lot of scope to make those changes without having potentially having some big impact on the work that our organizations do and that's really important and those end communities that need us to raise money to do the work to improve their lives so um yeah that's really challenging but I think one of the things that stood out for me from being part of the fellowship so far is that there is such energy within the group about making those changes and also some real bravery and courage about actually taking the steps that are needed and yeah stepping out in that boldness to say I'm going to try something new and to see some of the impacts of that has been really inspiring. And also, yeah, it gives me a bit more courage to try those things out and to actually try and make a difference and to not sort of fall
1: back on that fear of getting it wrong. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. I mean, that was such a a great introduction. I I know there's more fellows in the program right now than there are on this call, but actually there's a really nice spread of cause areas and countries that you work in and challenges. So I'm really just grateful that you all showed up today and that we can have this conversation.
2: And yeah, just to echo, I think one of the things that's really come through for me from the fellowship so far is that even though we've got, I think, 14 different countries or 14 different program areas represented and lots of different kind of levels of seniority and sizes of team that actually some of the things we're most frustrated about and finding the most challenging. There's a lot of commonalities in, in what we're struggling with and it's not unique to one country or one type of fundraising or just you know unique to the type of job that you're doing. And I think it's fair to say that one of the reasons we started this fellowship is that we at IG were just as frustrated <laughs> as you are about some of these challenges and inequities also within the funding system and that resources don't always flow where they're needed most. So, as you know, as well as learning together as part of the fellowship, a part of what we've been doing is these systems change workshops where we've been articulating our experiences our challenges and our dreams for the funding system and i'm interested to hear from you all from that process so far we're we're only six months into the 12-month process what has stood out for you about the collective vision of the fix the flow fellows for the funding system of the future so we've worked together to articulate that shared vision so i'm interested to hear from you all what has stood out to you
3: I think what's really stood out to me is so many things we face, we kind of face together, but there's a few spaces where we can realise that. And when talking about like the dream of the funding system and how we would love it to look like and be like, I think two things that just always came out were power dynamics and trust, because there are so many varied dynamics within the system, but within charities, I feel like we often... Feel like almost to just trust us we know what we're doing which obviously is easier said than done but to build this trust to build long-term relationships as Emily said not just making a new shiny project but doing working together for long-term sustainable change based on
0: trust and in communities yeah I think that really stuck with how shared that dream is build on what Anna said I think what's really important as well is transparency so it goes hand in hand with trust and what's really come across to me is that if you don't have that transparency and that communication and the data and the accountability then you can't change things if you don't understand how the system is already working then how do you know how to shape it and one of the areas that we were talking about is accountability on systems to give well so how do those systems evolve and how do they show those best practices and yeah that's really a tricky challenge understanding the transparency and where funding flows are coming from how decisions are made and how people are participating in those decisions that came across really strongly across the fellow group.
1: Can I ask a question a follow-up question around trust because that is what both of you just mentioned in your initial answers and I'm just curious around the concept of earning trust, because that's often what follows on from that word. Trust is earned. That works in both directions from the donor earning your trust, your organization earning the donor's trust. And how much of a role do you think the earning of trust should play in this ideal system? Whose responsibility is it to do that? What is a reasonable role for you as a fundraiser to earn a donor's trust and where are the boundaries around that?
3: I think there's so much of that trust that comes from relationships. And what we see if there's a standard of short-term project funding is that you actually rarely get the chance to build that trust. So you default to KPIs, and I have nothing against KPIs, but kind of standard templates of how to measure trust in numbers. Whereas I actually think that such a good way forward is multi-year partnerships, long-term partnerships who funders, get to know a charity better, charities to funders as well, and also the communities in which a particular program or a particular charity might work in. So I think those relationships are really core to making that happen and in a sustainable and productive way.
1: Mm-hmm. I like what you pointed to there, which is also the concept of resourcing that trust building process. Mm. There's a lot of nuance around that. Of course, there needs to be some before you enter into a partnership. But the idea of a long-term partnership where trust can be grown and built and strengthened over time together with resources to underpin that is quite exciting and radical, actually. And and just valuing
2: that practice, what we value, we fund. (laughs) And so understanding the value of that activity and that skill and that practice within the overall system, rather than denigrating or stigmatizing it which tends to happen quite a lot with the practice of fundraising is something that I think is
5: really important. One of the things that we've been thinking about is how do we pass on any trust that funders have placed in us to the local partners that we work with and the communities we work with and I think in our quest for kind of more flexible funding realizing that we need to go on that journey with our funders and build that trust up, I think you can have a responsibility in terms of communicating the vision and putting a spotlight on the partners we work with in the communities and allowing them to speak for themselves. But we've looked at how are we trusting the partners that we work with and not passing on some of the really burdensome prescriptive reporting requirements that, as Anne said, have sort of taken the place of building trust rather than really open transparent conversations and um, we've got something called the Women's Rights Fund which is trying to do that where it's totally flexible funding over a three-year basis and it's quite different for us to be doing it that way because we've yeah come from a history of having really quite prescriptive exacting kind of reporting requirements which is a reflection of what we've been asked for so we're now recognizing more and more that role we play as kind of intermediaries where we can help make the most of the trust that we've gained through you know the advantage of being around for a while and having the profile that we do we've got a good reputation in many ways which allows us to kind of pass that on I think to local partners and one of the questions that I think has made me stop and think is the role of unsolicited applications which I think someone had put mm. about I, I think I'd always thought that unsolicited applications yeah, totally valid. You can't you know, expect funders to be bombarded by thousands of applications. And then I stopped and thought, is that fair? Is that the best use of the position of power that those funders have? Where's the onus on them, as you say, to be resourcing, to do the due diligence on areas that they're interested in or to not have really lengthy application processes for what can often be really small amounts of funding and that isn't fair for smaller organisations or any organisation. Again, that kind of, I want us to trust that funders have thought about their application processes as much as we've thought about ours.
0: No, I completely agree. And as well, if you're working within really tight parameters around your project reporting, you're missing opportunities to discover other things that could be really exciting and interesting about the project. So if you're creating those kind of safe spaces to share learning and you're allowed to fail even though we don't even want to use the term fail it's all an opportunity to learn if you're learning from what's going on in your programs and you're having those open discussions that builds trust as well and that also gives you that opportunity to evolve your programming rather than being too constrained and and too fixated on delivering something that's really really rigid
1: this is also interesting the role that you're highlighting there of the intermediary, I think is such a unique, Mm. complex position. And every intermediary we've ever worked with asks the same questions. I actually
2: disagree about it being unique to intermediaries. Mm. I think something that we've spoken about a lot on this fellowship is the importance of our role as fundraisers, regardless of whether it's, you know, just us starting out a little community organization or we're working as part of big intermediary organizations that fundamentally we represent the funding system within Mm -hmm. our organizations and within our community. So whether our job is to literally pass through that money to other organizations or community groups, or whether we're just literally translating it into programs by delivering them ourselves that fundamentally we can represent and perpetuate the problematic characteristics of the funding system and the problematic desires of our funders, et cetera, into the worlds that we occupy. So I I actually disagree that it's just about intermediaries. I think we all are an intermediary in some sense.
1: Mm -hmm. I really like that way of looking at it. And it is, it's like you are... forced to walk the walk in the sense of the tension between what trust do we want from our donors and am I giving that same trust to whether that's your grantees or other stakeholders that you serve, the communities you work with. And oftentimes the answer is not as perfect as we want it to be. And that's also okay. I mean, it's, it's human. it makes sense. There's a lot of complex variables there, but I think it's like, you can't escape your own reality. (laughs) You're just constantly forced to look yourself in the mirror as an organization or as a fundraiser and go, hmm, am I walking the walk? And oftentimes the answer could be better. And well, that's why we're all doing the work we do. I I really love that angle on things. And I totally take your point, Emily. I like that.
2: Anything else that stood out from this future vision of the funding system?
6: For me, one thing I have seen that has helped in creating trust between funders and most of us down this side at the grassroots is... Usually funders don't come through for us in the first round of approaching them. But when we keep them updated, when we keep them in mind and keep giving them feedback and they see progress and they learn to trust us. And then, but that works for us down at the grassroots. I don't know what works for, like I've learned a lot from Naomi and the rest. And yeah, I just wanted to put that out there because for me, it has worked for me on the few grants I have been able to fundraise for the organisation and for other organisations where i part-time and work for. So, yeah, I don't know if it's helpful, but it helps the the idea.
0: Definitely. And I just wanted to make a point about optimism. What, what I've really enjoyed about the fellowship is how much optimism there is across the group for change. And we, you know, the experience that we've all been through with COVID in the last couple of years, we saw that things that we thought were part of the system can be flexible can be changed people can make decisions and make things more flexible do things really quickly you know we've removed a lot of barriers and i think we're now in a new world that the future of the funding system looks really exciting it looks like there's disruptors coming in we've got lots of change we've got lots of different ways that people are working you know the next gen donors coming through have very different ideas i feel like we're actually at an exciting moment where The future is going to evolve quite quickly and the speed of things is something that that we can keep up with and we can be really excited about.
2: Mm, I totally agree. And I think. I mean, not to overstate it as too selfish of a move, but I think that one of the reasons I wanted to start this fellowship is to give myself hope and to kind of work in in community with all of you for the, exactly that emotional experience. And I, you know, I know we're only six months into this journey together as, as kind of cohort one, but I, I'm interested in hearing from you all about how you're all feeling about the potential to create change compared to, you know, say a year ago before you'd even heard of this fellowship. Where are you at with that? And it's okay if there's still some kind of pessimism or pragmatism in there I think it's important we we explore that together all the time on our calls I agree that there's more hope there but change takes time changing systems is really complicated and as we've all worked on together it's very hard work and so I'm interested in your experience of that how are you feeling about that potential to create change in this system
5: I'd definitely say since yeah becoming a fellow I feel much more positive I, I think Katie put it brilliantly uh, one of the reasons I'd wanted to become a fellow was the thinking about some of these things, but it can sometimes just roll around in your head a little bit and you don't necessarily get the headspace to separate it from the really urgent day-to-day priorities and find that time and the inspiration from others about what does great look like. And I found that the work we've done on that so far has been amazing because for me, I have to be able to kind of imagine a vision. I have to be able to kind of feel like I'm working towards something. And if you it can feel often, you know, quite overwhelming. You're thinking about power dynamics that have been in play for decades. And, you know, but I think finding other people with that same drive and that same incredible experience and so much talent has definitely felt like that movement is building towards change. And so being able to come together and try and articulate what does great look like has given me yeah, huge amount of hope.
3: I really love what you just said about what does great look like. I think that is such an amazing way to phrase it because as you said, like so, it can feel quite isolating. And what I found so inspiring is that we can like share this journey and kind of walk along together. And I think in general, there is a lot of hope and there are changes and there are funders who are great and listening or who are already doing great things there's change afoot, foot if you wish but from a bit of a pragmatic side to bring the energy down but what I've really valued about the fellowship is that it almost has dedicated space in my work calendar where I can engage with things like that because my normal day-to-day does not look like that and I imagine for a lot of people it doesn't mm. so I found it really valuable but I'm sure these other organizations where there isn't necessarily the time for that, where somebody is a sole fundraiser, where the pressures are different. And I think that is one of the things we have to account for. And we often talk about like professionalism of fundraisers, fundraisers as a profession, which I think ties in with kind of this looking at workload targets, capacity, roles and organizations. So that's a bit of my pragmatism coming in but generally yes I think it is that hope and that hope that this work is also being seen as very very important work for long-term change that is beneficial in itself.
4: Yeah and I think one of the things that I've taken away from this fellowship is just how many if not all of the people in the fellowship kind of agree with the point that Anna made earlier which is that we don't want to be competing against one another we do want to be collaborating with one another and I think just all acknowledging that is a very powerful move, very powerful step in the right direction. We don't get given opportunities very frequently to actually join together with other fundraisers and imagine a better future and actually work towards that collaboration unless we're in the same cohort of fundees, which I know some great funders are doing at the moment, like the Blade Grave Trust, you know, bringing the cohort together to collaborate, which I think is a really great move. But also, Outside of being part of the same funding cohort, there's not very many opportunities for funders to come together and say, okay, well, how can we collaborate and not compete with one another? How can we make the pot bigger for everybody? How can we redirect funds towards the causes that we care about and not feel like we're kind of facing a losing battle in that way? So, yeah, I think that's really powerful. And yeah, it's definitely something that's core to the work that we're doing at Me and Youth is trying to shake up the sector and try to create some change within philanthropy and encourage donors to engage in more trust-based giving and yeah maybe not take so long to distribute funds (laughs) so um yeah it's definitely all moving in the right direction
0: (laughs) definitely I 100% agree with you Emily and I think something that's been really powerful for me in this fellowship is just gaining that confidence as a cohort of fellows we have that confidence to take these messages back internally because we know that they are, we're learning not only from ID advisors, but also it's a great platform and they're bringing in expertise from externally across the sector. So that kind of But that for me, I felt has really built my confidence to focus on building that sustainable funding base within my organization. And so I'm I'm doing much more to advocate internally for the way that things can work and the way we can build more equitable systems and the way that we can shift those power dynamics. And that is absolutely priceless. And we know that we're not just in a cohort now, there's a cohort coming right behind us and we're going to be fellows for good. So We're at the start right now, but where are we going to be in six months or a year's time? It's going to be a really exciting journey, not just for us. We're like part of a movement. But I think internally in all of our own organizations, we're making such an impact already just as individuals who, especially for those of us who don't have big teams or are not really, you know, necessarily in very senior roles. Like we're sharing that expertise and and I think that confidence as a fellow has been great.
3: Thank you so much.
2: That's That's so lovely to hear. Rachel and I are just like (laughs) crying and dancing a little bit here.
1: (laughs) And for listeners, there's like a lot of hearts, you know, the sparkly Zoom heart um, reaction (laughs) emoji. There's a lot of those. (laughs) So (laughs) echoing all
6: of that. Thank you so much. Amira, over to you. I feel so that I'm speaking after her because what she said was really powerful. But for me, it's it's like I found a community with, with the fellowship. I found a community for myself. And every time we talk about things like during our sessions, I notice that I'm not the only one going through the issues I'm having with my fundraising, all of us are having these problems. And then we get solutions all together, like in in this session, then you have coffee with this person, then you have our groups that we, I keep forgetting the name of that at time, but you have our groups. And then like, we're all dealing with different things in different parts of the world, but they're all fundraising issues. And if I don't have a solution, someone else is always willing really to have a solution. And it feels like I have a small home for what I do and I have somewhere to run to, and I have issues and it has added value to me because I learn more. And I also know I am not special. This is not something made just for me, but everyone that is in fundraising is going through it and it has helped me keep moving forward. And also, like I said in the beginning, it has helped me like, keep saying yes now that has let's go on the next one let's prove ourselves so it has helped me become stronger and be hopeful and also know that i'm dealing with problems everyone else is dealing with Mm -hmm. yeah
2: that is also really powerful and deserving of sparkly zoom hearts as well so (laughs) thank you this podcast is made
7: possible by seagull family foundation we are building an extensive network of extraordinary people, positively transforming lives and communities across Africa. Whether you're a dreamer, funder, leader, or visionary, our network can help you make the greatest impact. To learn more, visit www.seagullfamilyfoundation.org
2: or contact us at info at I just want to kind of echo a few things that have been shared so far, because what stood out for me from the collective vision that we've all put together for the kind of future that we want to see in 10 years time is this focus on relationships and collaboration and, you know, words like solidarity and allyship. And we're talking sometimes about what we want from funders and donors, but we're also talking about what we want from each other and how we want to all be collectively working towards impact. And I think that's coming through so strongly in what you know, you're describing as giving you hope here, but I think it's really worth highlighting that that's what we want the future to look like, right? Where we're all, whether we are wealth holders or we're program officers in a foundation or we're fundraisers or we're leaders or whatever we are, that we're all collectively working towards impact and that there's no capitalist or like patriarchal structures that are keeping us in our little silos, fighting with each other over scarce resources, but where we're thinking, okay, what are the needs? Who is most marginalized? How do we mobilize those resources where they're most needed? And how do we collaborate towards that? So I just find that super inspiring. And and as has been said, it's it's incredibly inspiring to be in community with people who share that vision and can articulate the challenges that we're all facing collectively as well.
1: Ditto. Oh my gosh. Okay, now we've got the party hat Zoom emoji. I love this. (laughs) Um, Okay, so just to move to the final question, which is, I'd love for you to imagine that a fundraiser is listening to this podcast of which there are likely many. And thinking back over your last six-ish months in the fellowship, what is something that you think another fundraiser should take away from your experience? Whether that's a tactical piece of advice from a masterclass or the action learning sets or any of the learning sessions or the human centered design process, it could be the smallest thing or the biggest concept. I'd love for you to just give a piece of advice or a kind of a nugget of wisdom or information to a fundraiser who's listening to this so that you can help them in their own work?
3: I think what came to my head is just the phrase like, it's worth it, which is it's worth it to try to make those small changes to work in your team, whether that's on a due diligence or an application, it's worth trying to go these steps because change is possible. And it often, I feel like, feels so abstract and far away and I forgot who but somebody says like these been uh these systems have been in place for so long I think actually it was no, it was you but um just having that like these little things will work together and then other people will appreciate that will take it away and yeah it's just it is worth it and it changes things and yeah so Thank you to everyone who is doing those little, those steps and like talking and changing things. I love that. It's like the new, what is it,
1: L'Oreal or Maybelline ad? Or L'Oreal, like it's worth it. <laughs> You're worth it. It's, <laughs> there's, there's some sort of campaign there. I love it.
3: I love that. I didn't know that, but I love it. So just think of the ad whenever you're doing something, if I'm busy, not not to advertise anything. Sorry.
1: Yeah. yeah, I know. Sorry. That just got very capitalist.
0: But anyway,
1: just my sense of humor. Katie, over to you.
0: Well, how to follow that one? Well, I think for me, it's about recognizing that in some areas you have strengths and what the fellowship does is like tweak and turn them into super strengths. So we have some incredible sessions on, for example, reviewing cases for support or looking at the psychology of how people make decisions and the messaging. That was really, really fascinating and helpful and interesting. And then in other areas, when you join the fellowship, you realize that you have whole areas that you have not been very familiar with and and you are learning a huge amount the whole human-centered design approach for me was completely new so so it's a great opportunity to know that you're on the right track with lots of things and get that validation and tweak it and improve but then in other areas just grow in a whole different way and uh, yeah that's great
5: for me it was realizing that Since I joined the fellowship, it's not sort of a another thing on my to-do list, like shifting my mindset away from every day is so busy. How on earth am I going to make the time for this? And realizing that actually it's given me so much energy. And in some ways, kind of the benefit isn't quantifiable because it sparked lots of other thoughts and conversations that I don't think I would have had if I hadn't been in the fellowship. So whether someone's in the fellowship or not, I suppose it's just thinking about. Give yourself permission to carve out time to think about some of this stuff, the little thoughts that are rolling around your head, the the things that are niggling at you that like this doesn't feel right. There's got to be a different way, like just find someone who might feel the same and connect and allow yourself to just go into that space because actually I found that incredibly energizing and really powerful and I'm very grateful for that
4: yeah if anybody's listening i would say you're not alone everybody who works in fundraising knows that it can sometimes be quite an isolating experience but i think being in the fellowship has made me realize that everybody's in the same boat and everybody does want to collaborate with one another and not compete so definitely um i would say if anyone's listening you know reach out to people in your sector and see how you can talk about things that you have in common i think we will have more in common than we do apart and we're all fighting for the same thing so let's see how we can do that more collaboratively
0: <laughs> oh that's amazing and I think the final one for me is like don't expect the system to fix itself like we are all <laughs> agents of change we are, all have agency to to push back if we're, we're in conversations with you know a potential philanthropist and it's just not going the way that we think it could work to be brave and have that conversation and open it up and see ourselves as we can make those changes and we can support those shifts and doing it as more as a collective just feels amazing as well.
1: Mm -hmm. I love that. It's also reminding me of the kickoff way back when in the day when we had as part of the onboarding quiz, we asked you when you're struggling with fundraising, who or what do you blame? Is it your organization? Is it your team? Is it the system or is it yourself? And there was some really, really interesting statistics. 83% of us blame ourselves.
2: when we're struggling to fundraise but also basically no one said that they had all of the support community training or guidance they needed to succeed as a fundraiser and so I think it was a bit of a downer (laughs) in terms of the starting point but I think there's just you know that not alone point and that it's not it's not your fault the system won't change on its own we have to kind of change and push for change and ask for change and yeah I totally echo that and I think now hopefully we're all blaming ourselves slightly less
1: yes less gaslighting of ourselves (laughs) within this funding system and more collective and collaborative practices to changing it. I love that.
6: I think I went to borrow Emily's statement of You're Not Alone because it goes back to my experience before I came to the fellowship. I blamed myself for everything. I felt like I wasn't doing enough, I wasn't reading enough, I wasn't writing the best proposals or I wasn't approaching people in the right way but for me anything I want to tell them is whatever small step you're doing in fundraising and in growing in your fundraising journey that's good like you should count that day and be like pat yourself on the back and be like I did something today I did something positive in the right direction of changing the system and that alone will keep us going and it will help us Deal with anxiety as fundraisers because we deal with that so much. Myself, at least I know I have a lot of anxiety. So every time you are grateful that you did something small, you probably learned something small, you probably approached a new funder, you probably do. whatever you do in your fundraising field, anything you do is a step towards the change we are looking for of changing the system. So you doing well and thank you. That was beautiful.
1: That was beautiful. So just to thank you all so much for your time today, for your wisdom, for your time over this fellowship, everything. It's such a pleasure and an honor to do this with you, to be in community with you. I I know we're we're part of the fellowship community too. And it's so nice to get to know all of you and to do this work together. So thank you.
0: Can I ask you both a question? Sure. While you're here. I mean, this is your first one. So like what has been surprising to you?
2: So I can go first. I think what's been, oh, is it fair to say it's surprising because I kind of had the idea to start this because I really believed in us as a global community of people who are working really hard at this job. I really believed in us and I, I understood I had experienced many of the challenges. So it's not surprising like I didn't believe it, but I have been pleasantly surprised by the kind of extent to which everybody is committing to being vulnerable with each other, you know, collaborating. You know, there's folks who have already done kind of collaborations outside of the fellowship, sharing everybody's, you know, experiences and fears and also like what you're working on and giving each other feedback. I think there's just so much in that that it would be very easy to just kind of dial into something like this and not participate fully. Like it's possible to I, I don't know about you, but I sign up for a lot of webinars that I either don't go to or I do, but I'm <laughs> actually doing about th- seven thousand other things at the same time but that is not what is the case with this fellowship everybody is so switched on everybody's catching up with the recordings everybody's bringing their experiences and showcasing them and and obviously I believe that that could be the case because that was part of the design but I have been bowled over by what is possible when we are in meaningful community with each other so I don't know if it's fair to say surprised but extra
1: bowled over (laughs) more more bowled over than I expected to be oh I love that Yes. Ditto. The first thing that comes to my mind is actually very similar to Naomi, your answer around how time expanding systems change work can be Mm -hmm. and how, you know, we all have busy jobs and we have lots of amazing clients at IG that we're working on as well as running this fellowship. And sometimes I can definitely fall into the busy trap mindset of feeling all the things that we all know of the endless to do list and everything's busy. Everything is something to do. And I'm so, I guess, surprised slash continually bowled over or whatever phrase you want to use about how having conversations that are about systems and like collective imaginations and our hopes and our dreams and our fears, how they actually add energy to the rest of my day. It's like a one hour call creates like four hours of of my like high vibrations going into the rest of the things that I'm doing. And I love that. It's like, if we make the time to have, to carve out the space, whether it's in a fellowship or with other fundraisers in your community or with your team or with yourself, like however you can access Headspace to dream about a better way, it adds a lot of energy to the rest of the things that you're doing. It doesn't become another thing on the to-do list. Mm -hmm. It becomes the entire to-do list. That gives me a lot of hope. It helps us to embody that when we have space for imagining a
2: better way. When we go about the daily to do list, we can then embody that mm-hmm. better way in every little thing we're doing. Then people see us doing that, or, you know, people ask us, how come you're doing things that way? Like it's like the ripple effect of each of us doing little things. And I, I think, Katie, you said, you know, the system won't change itself, but we also can't change the whole thing overnight. But we are all kind of part of it in little ways. And so the fact that those ripple effects are already being felt after any six months is also, I will be honest, yeah, quite surprising to me and very inspiring.
3: Yeah.
1: All right. That's the real end. (laughs) Thank you all so much. That's all we've got for today. A huge thank you again to our fellows, both the ones, of course, who are on the call today, but also those who weren't able to make the call because you're still very much a part of our fellow community and we love you all so much. Yes. And thank you so much to everyone for making this
2: Fix the Flow Fellowship what it is. And for making my awkward British soul die a little bit from all of the earnest compliments on that conversation.
1: Um, Same with me, but it was so lovely, I don't even know how to express that. (laughs) Um,
2: I wanted to quickly share some details about the program too, for anyone who's listening that's interested in joining our movement. The program is designed to move fellows from being resource mobilizers to resource activists. And you can check out my blog about what pushed me to become a resource activist on our website impactandgrowth.com but a resource activist is someone who organizes giving who works to redistribute resources within the funding system and plays an impactful role in the system overall rather than just their organization someone who sees themselves as part of that system and the purpose of this is so that we can all champion our causes and the practice of giving so that we can get more resources flowing where they're needed most By doing that, we're also trying to feel more connected to a purpose, rather than just burnt out or stuck churning through transactional relationship building in a silo, which many of us in the fundraising world feel like. So the Fix the Flow Fellowship is a 12-month program, and it's bespoke to each cohort's needs. It focuses on four levels of impact. There's number one, the individual level, where we work with you on your personal development as a fundraiser, which helps to enhance your craft and your confidence and your commitment no matter where you're working. Level two is the organizational level, where we help you to identify your pain points and goals and set you up for success when driving fundraising within your workplace, no matter what your job title is. Level three is the sectoral level, where we bring together cohorts of fundraisers who face similar challenges to do action learning together and create community. And then finally, level four is the systemic level where we collectively define the areas of the funding system that need to change and develop collaborative action plans and special projects together. Feedback from our current fellows, as you heard on the episode, shows huge improvements in their confidence and their ability to fundraise effectively, their energy and motivation for their role, connection to other fundraisers, and generally feeling more empowered to change the funding system overall. And we've also seen huge fundraising successes across the cohort, creation of new materials and programs, really great collaboration between fellows and brilliant ideas for how we can collectively create change. The fellowship is open to fundraisers of all levels anywhere in the world and we have slightly separate streams for emerging and senior fundraisers. Applications for our next cohort are open until June 9th at fixtheflow.org and we would love to see you join our movement. If you have any questions you can get in touch.
1: And as I said, stay tuned for more exciting podcast episodes coming soon. In the meantime, you know where to find us. On Twitter, we're at IG underscore advisors. Our website is impactandgrowth.com. And as Emily said, our our Fix the Flow Fellowship website is fixtheflow.org. So in terms of applying for the fellowship by June 9th, you go to fixtheflow.org. And of course, you can also just shoot me an email or anyone on the team an email if you have any questions. My email address is Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, at IG-advisors.com. And that's advisors spelt O-R-S, not E-R-S. The American way. The American way, (laughs) which makes sense to my brain, but it may not make sense to all of yours. All right. And finally, of course, just to wrap up with a huge thank you to our official sponsor, Siegel Family Foundation, for making this all possible. And to our media partner, Alliance Magazine. Don't forget, you can use the code WHATDONORSWANT, all one word, for 50% off of an Alliance subscription. All right. That's it for today. Thanks again for listening. See you soon. This podcast was produced by myself, Rachel Stephenson-Chef, Esther Cavour, and the team at Scrubcast. Shout out to our editors, Dave and Tim. If you liked it, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps us do what we do. Thanks so much.